Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. So one thing that we're doing is we, we use things like uh, SimilarWeb, right? We want to develop... Uh, I don't like to use the word persona and my, my instructor who taught me, uh, he said, we're not building digital personas. What we're doing is we're building digital footprints and obfuscating our actual, uh, uh, footprint. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host, Matt Ashburn. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Phillips. Today, we're joined by Brian Fuller. He's the Director of Operations at uh, Ridge College of Intelligence Studies and Applied Sciences at Mercyhurst University. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Matt and Jeff, for having me. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, sure thing. Brian... Can you set the stage a bit for our audience? Uh, you know, you and I have chatted quite a bit. Uh, can you explain a bit about what you do at Mercyhurst and how exactly does Mercyhurst relate to online research? Well, as uh, Jeff stated, here at Mercyhurst University, we have the Ridge College of Intelligence Studies and Applied Sciences. It's actually the Tom Ridge College of Intelligence Studies and Applied Sciences. Here we have the world's premier intelligence studies program, uh, both strategic and competitive business intelligence. And as everyone knows, with intelligence, there is a lot of research and collection that come with that. Uh, you know, our specialties here really revolve around open source intelligence. That is uh, one of the main platforms in which we uh, gather our information and teach uh, the students in our program, uh, the Tradecraft. Um, the second one is Humit, uh, we do a lot of human operations and uh, geo geospatial intelligence. Um, and realistically, you come here uh, from the time you're a freshman, you're getting experience in uh, working in uh, really conducting open source intelligence and uh, the rest of the intelligence disciplines, but learning how to tie it back to either a strategic objective or operation or competitive supporting competitive business intelligence. Uh, we also have a grad program. Uh, in which our grad students that come in, um, they learn a lot of the same open source intelligence, uh, tradecraft methodology, and uh, all of the tools that go along with that, uh, and then graduate with a great you know, degree, whether you're an undergraduate or a graduate. That's, that's really cool. Now, Brian, I know from having talked to you earlier, you have um, a long background um, you know, lots of years of experience in, in OSINT. Can you talk a little bit about your background and then and some of the experience you've gained there and, you know, maybe w what lessons are you trying to import, uh, impart on, on your students when it comes to OSINT techniques and protocols? Absolutely. So I spent 24 years in the Army. 
Uh, I was in military intelligence and counterintelligence. Um, I can say that now uh, I'm retired. So I retired in March of 2019. Um, towards the end of my career, OSINT uh, really became a big part of the intelligence disciplines that the military practices. And so I was able to uh, really become trained in that and exposed to it. Uh, when I retired in March of 2019, I uh, stayed retired for a negative 45 days. And in February, I actually um, started working for the Army OSINT office as a senior open source intelligence instructor. Uh, I was out of Fort Carson teaching basically all the Department of Defense's OSINT courses east of the or west of the Mississippi. Um, we also had an office down at Fort Hood and in Texas. So between the, the two of us, we were really teaching it. Um, that's where I really learned um, the, to master the tradecraft. Um, that's where I really learned how to leverage the tools such as Authentic 8. Um, that was a big platform for the managed attribution that we were, we were doing. And um, then in uh, February of uh, 2009, or I'm sorry, in December of 2019, I came to work at Mercyhurst University. Now, preceding that, um, loved what I was doing in, in the military. I was out at the uh, Intelligence Security Command's Foundry site, teaching a lot of great uh, OSINT courses. I'm getting a lot of great exposure, but my family wanted to move back home here to Erie, Pennsylvania. And uh, so we ended up moving. And at the time, Mercyhurst was looking to hire a uh, director of operations. And more importantly, they really wanted to increase their capacity for doing open source intelligence. They really wanted to teach it at that tiers two level. They were really doing tier zero and some tier one, um, but they really wanted to get it to that tier two to tier four level. And uh, so it was a great fit. I knew operations, I knew intelligence, and more importantly, I knew OSINT and how I could help incorporate it. And now, how do I impart it on the students? Um, well, we have what's called our Center for Intelligence Research and Analysis Training, or CRAT. It's a lab here. So state-of-the-art lab where we work on uh, real-world projects for real-world clients and decision-makers, whether it's strategic uh, government side or it's competitive business intel or business intelligence on the private sector side, and we support uh, the mission of non-governmental organizations. Um, the students get hired to work on those projects. It really is a part-time job for these students. They get paid to work on the projects. It's contractually based. We're guaranteeing the deliverable that we're providing. Um, just as well as we provide direct support to clients in being a force multiplier and enhancing their intelligence uh, and information research and collection capability. Within that lab, we are exposing the students to a lot of great tools. We're not just teaching them tradecraft. Now, all of this is external to the classroom. So in the classroom, they get a great education. We have a great faculty. They're all providing uh, a lot of great education and knowledge to these students and imparting tradecraft and, and the use of, of employing it. But really the applied experience side comes inside that CRET lab. And so that's where I teach them a lot of OSINT. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have to learn working for real world clients on real world projects going in front of decision makers that are influencing operations, whether it's government or private sector. We're going on foreign intelligence websites or foreign websites, right? And a lot of them we know are probably being monitored by foreign intelligence services or foreign governments. So it's very risky to go on there. Just as well, we go on the dark web. We will go on the deepest corners of the dark web. We even, we'll go on the surface deep web and dark web. We teach all the tradecraft, but we have to teach how to mitigate the technical risk to the university and to our lab 
you know, Brian, you mentioned a, a few terms there. I just wanted to back up a little bit there. You mentioned tier zero, tier one, tier two. Can you explain to some of the, the listeners that may be out there, what do those tiers mean and how sure. do they relate to OSINT research? So tier zero would be your uh, safe search sites. So that's sites that you trust, sites that are mainstream, sites you vetted. Um, those would be like mainstream news sources. Uh, you, they're Really tier zero is US-based sites. So if it's a .com, it's a trusted .com, uh, a database, uh, you know, Library of Congress, for instance. It's a trusted database. You can go there. There's no real risk of being, uh, you know, a technical risk of getting a virus or malware or snoopware or ransomware. Same on the technical side or topical side. You're probably not going to be being really tracked for what going into these databases. So it's just that. It's sites that are you consider safe, that you've used before, that you've vetted, and don't really pose a risk, uh, you should always check every site for a technical risk. So if it comes up without a technical risk, then you're good. And then uh, looking at it from a topical perspective, would somebody be interested in why you're on that site? Then you have your tier one. That's where you go to a site that maybe you're vetting. You haven't found too much wrong with it, but maybe it's a foreign site, like a, a Chinese website, a Russian website, Iranian website, whatever it is that may be uh, not necessarily an ally with the with the United States, um, they may be interested in why you're going to that site, but you don't find any real risk. So there's a there could be a risk, but you aren't 100% sure. That's called a tier one, um, where it could pose a risk, but there's nothing imminent showing you that it is a risk. And then there's your tier two. Tier two is it does pose a risk. You have found that there's a technical risk, like uh, there's been a lot of viruses reported coming from that site or you know it's you've edited it and it's owned by a foreign government. Um, you've looked into it like uh, forums, especially like a 4chan or something like that. You know there's probably hackers on the other end of that or the webmasters interested in why you're there. You've found solid information to say that there is an imminent threat to your uh, both technically and topically, right? So um, that would be a tier two. And then tier three and four is where you get more into your active collection. So everything tier zero, one, and two is passive collection. Three, four, and and I'll stay away from five, but three and four is where you really get into the uh, more aggressive uh, type of uh, collection methods. More your human and OSINT combination. That's interesting. You mentioned also about some direct experience opportunities. And as, as you know, some of the most valuable lessons can come from doing direct experience in any particular field. Can you talk a bit about some of the opportunities that exist for students to get hands-on experience with actual clients doing OSINT research? I can. So I'll caveat everything with, we work under non-disclosure agreements uh, with quite a few of our clients. But I can tell you every day um, we are doing tier two operations uh, when it comes to OSINT. Every day we are on Authentic 8, utilizing Authentic 8's uh, toolbox and a lot of times the Tor network. And so the opportunity, so it, Big Pharma is a good one. So Pharma is always worried about their brands being illegally uh, copied, manufactured, uh, IP being stolen, brand being stolen, brand illegally being used on products that don't belong to that pharmaceutical company. Uh, being sold on marketplaces that are out there that really, you know, the drugs are killing themselves. Uh, that baby formula issue that happened, um, there were a lot of knockoff products coming out saying that, you know, they were Abbott products when they really weren't. And then Abbott was getting blamed for it. 
And so it's a huge international criminal network. So we have been hired. We work a lot with Big Pharma to help with those types of investigations. We're going on the web and we're finding these illegal marketplaces, illegally selling, you know, specific products that are related to this that are actually killing people or could kill people. Uh, products that are no longer being manufactured, but are still being sold under the, the brand name. Or believe it or not, a lot, even the copyright on the, 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 the pictures that go on these things, their logos are all of that. We're looking for that. And then we're looking where it's being sold, who it's being sold by, who's purchasing it. Um, and then we trace it back to where's it being manufactured? How did they get a hold of it? So you look at the whole gamut of an investigation from start to finish with that. Um, uh, you know, there's a dark side to a lot of this too, that we come across and work on, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, we do help find missing and exploited children with some of what we do. Um, we have uh, we have uncovered just through the nature of what we do, um, criminal networks, criminal activity, uh, whether it's a pedophile ring all the way to uh, illegal selling of drugs locally. We help our local police department once in a while. Uh, they have an intelligence cell and we'll help them out to track things. We do a lot of social media stuff as well. So we'll do a lot of social media exploitation, whether it's for sentiment or we're looking for specific uh, information uh, on, you know, assessments that are going on. That's super interesting. Well, super interesting. And I can imagine um, or can't imagine how useful that real hands-on experience is for the students. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, using a, a managed attribution platform in terms of mitigating um, technical risk. We, we do have a lot of um, the, the, the skill level varies widely in terms of our audience. Um, I take it, you know, when you get those students in there right off the bat, is there um, some things you teach them from as far as mitigating risk when they're conducting their online research? So not the not the technical risk, but the, um, you know, the, the other side of risk. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing we do whenever we start off any project is we do a collection plan, whether it's a project in the CRAT or it's a project in the classroom. Uh, so you should always start with a collection plan. And that's really the plan of how you're gonna go about doing your research and collection and, and producing a product. But in there, you should identify where the risks are, uh, where you do risk assessments. And everything, you know, you should be putting in place uh, a, a way to reduce that risk, um, measures to reduce that risk. And then from there, as you're doing the research and collection, um, we you, you should be doing a source risk assessment as well, which goes to the technical side. Now on the topical side, when we're doing managed attribution, we build something called a managed attribution plan. I tell all the students, I have a rule called four and four. You should go, you should have four websites that you go to before you hit your targeted website and then four more websites to go to after that. So that way topically, nobody can really figure out what website you went to, why, because you're really blending in. We want to look as, we want to blend in as much as possible. We want to uh, be as, un, you know, we do not want to be unique in any way. We want to look like a typical user. And so using Authentic 8, it really gives us this ability to do that, to, to really uh, develop that type of plan. So one thing that we're doing is we we use things like uh, SimilarWeb, right? We want to develop 
uh, I don't like to use the word persona. And my, my instructor who taught me, uh, he said, we're not building digital personas. What we're doing is we're building digital footprints and obfuscating our actual uh, uh, footprint. But then even though you're technically doing that, how do you blend in, right? What kind of pathway do you build? So we like to put what's called breadcrumbs. So the first thing that we'll do is we will develop our uh, digital footprint. What should it really look like? If we're going to a Chinese website, are we using a point of presence in right, to get to that website? So say it's the financial sector. We're interested in the Chinese financial sector. Well, if we go directly to the Chinese website from a US-based platform or, or uh, uh, network or even uh, uh, you know the, the, the operating system that we come from, it's probably going to send up a red flag. Odds are the Chinese government is probably monitoring that. And I'm not a conspiracy nut by any means. But, um, you know, there's probably somebody that's got ill intentions, nefarious activity on the other end. So how do you get in there without them identifying what, that you're there, that you're a collector in the United States and why you're collecting, that you're interested mm-hmm. in something? So you will build a managed attribution plan. You will develop what does a point of presence coming from Japan look like? How do you blend in as a Japanese student? Um, you know, if that's the way you're going to go with it, what sites would make sense in Japan that you would go to to get to chi- a Chinese website? What sites would you go to in China before you go to your targeted website to look like you're blending in? And then how do you egress out of that? So you go to a couple more sites in China and then you jump back to Japan, and then you go to a couple more sites in Japan. Well, then you're done. You can close out. You're done with your managed attribution, right? So on the topical side, you've really blended in. Your your footprint makes sense for what it looks like. We always match it up with what Authentic 8 pre-builds for you to make sure we're always vetting it against that. And so far, you guys have been 100%. Um, And then, you know, we check everything from languages to time zones to all of that. And time zones, another big one. Brian, if you can narrow it down to just one, what is one big mistake that OSINT practitioners make? They put together a great managed attribution plan, but they forget about the time zone. So you could be going to that Chinese website when it's two in the afternoon in the United States, but it's an odd hour in China. And forgive me, I don't have all the time zones in front of me, but that could send up a red flag because that might be one of the, the sites less trafficked and the webmaster wants to know why people are coming there at a high traffic time. Um, we also use things like similar web to tell us and some other uh, a- analytical uh, tools that are out there to tell us when is high traffic on these websites, right? When would it be best to go on those? And we try to match up that time. So we'll look at time zone to make sure the time zone makes sense. Um, that's why I love your collector platform, because you can set up collector to go actually collect at that time when it could be 2.30 in the morning when it's high time on the site I'm trying to go to. So what's great right. is your collector platform allows us to do set up the search. I don't have to get up at two thirty in the morning to do the search myself. I just get up in the morning, you know, seven o'clock, look at my results, and great, I've got it all. Manage attribution plan still works. That's what I love about your collector platform. Um, but the the other thing that you know we look at is you know a lot of times we'll look at bounce rates, right? We'll really look mm-hmm. at the bounce rate. So. What's the bounce rate on our targeted website? Can we get on that website at, at the same bounce rate and get off of it? Uh, how many, you know, we look at the amount of time the average user spends on there. So if it's two minutes and 30 seconds, I will take a timer, put a timer in front of me and make sure I don't go over 
230. Maybe I do 210, 215, uh, but I'll time to make sure that I'm only on the website for that long, get off. And then if I got to come back to it, I'll develop another managed attribution plan to get on there. I know that I've said a lot of, you know, with that uh, long way to answer that question, but that's really how we teach a lot of the topical risks with a great managed attribution plan. That's amazing. Amazing classes. Yeah, I love how focused you are on the trade craft with all of this. You know, if there are a few things you want to leave the audience with, what would those be today, Brian? What, what tips would you want to leave the audience with today? So I will leave it with the audience, two things. One, you really got to have a good collection plan. You've got to have a good risk assessment. You've got to have a good way to mitigate that risk. And you've got to have a good managed attribution plan. Next thing, you've got to have a good tool set, right? You've really got to have a good tool set for mitigating the technical and topical risk. Everybody tries to mitigate technical, but they don't really think of the topical side of it. So you gotta you know, look at the topical side as well, because you don't wanna burn your operation mission and you don't wanna burn your clients as well, right? If you're doing some type of corporate, uh, you know, searching uh, on your competitors, you don't want your competitors to know that you're doing that, right? It used to be termed corporate espionage, well, you don't really want to look people, you know, let people know you're doing it. It's like doing digital human operations. So mm -hmm. topical risk mitigated, right? And then the other thing is, is if you don't, if you don't know what you're doing, Google is not an OSINT technique, right? Google is great. It's a database that's out there, but don't think that that you're doing proper OSINT by using individual search tools. Use a meta search tool, use your tier zero, figure out what your tier one and tier two uh, threats are going to be in sites you need to go to. Don't be afraid to go to them. But if you don't know how to mitigate the risk before going to those, seek out the training, right? Seek out that training before you burn yourself or burn your company or burn your network. If somebody got ransomware, it's because they didn't do proper OSINT. These companies getting ransomware, it's because they're not either training their people on how to do proper OSINT or they're not mitigating the technical risk in a way that uh, doesn't allow someone to get in. And you know what? You got to train all your people. It's great that the intelligence professionals or your global security operations center or your IT guys and your cybersecurity guys know how to mitigate that. But what about the people in your HR department, right? What about the people in accounting and finance? Everybody is can be can be a point of vulnerability. So teach them how to do proper OSIN as well. And I guarantee you'll reduce your risk 100%. Lots of great information there. Thanks again to our guest, Brian Fuller, for joining us today. If you liked what you heard today, you can always subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. You can also view our episodes on YouTube and get show information and all sorts of other stuff on our website at authenticate.com slash needlestack. That's authentic with the number eight at the end, dot com slash needlestack. Don't forget, we're also on Twitter at NeedlestackPod.
Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8, .com.